0: A lot of what we, the story that we want to tell is, yeah. is, is what, how, it's just an amazing thing that this fruit comes off of this tree in the rainforest in the Amazon and goes through this whole, touches so many different hands, there's so many different people that work on it yeah. to get it to Atlanta, to make it into a chocolate bar. Hello friends, welcome back to the Atlanta Foodcast.
1: I'm your host, Ben Getz, and I'm excited to bring you guys yet another story. And, you know, speaking of stories, sometimes there's just one that really sticks with you. It's typically one that you want to retell to someone before you let them do the research for themselves. And Matt and Elaine of Chocolatl have one of those stories. Now, before you let your mind start playing tricks on you... The name is pronounced Waddle, and it starts with an X, so don't be confused and just track along and you'll be just fine. But these guys dropped everything to start a chocolate business and bring small batch chocolate to the city of Atlanta and the rest of the world. And, you know, the the cool thing is these guys are just fun, and we had an absolute blast nerding out on the process of chocolate making from end to end. But anyways, let's just get right into it. So next up, here's my conversation with Elaine Reed and Matt Wayant, of Chocolato.
0: ...way into your life,
1: give me an idea of what was it like for you guys growing up, and who was cooking for you, did you have the the culinary bug, so to speak, and you know, what was there anything that kind of fueled you guys into getting into, I mean, you got, you guys are a huge part of the culinary community here, so what, what was it like for you guys growing up?
2: Um. So my mom, who worked out of the house, um, always made home-cooked dinners when she came home. So she's a little bit of a workaholic, um, but somehow she always managed to get a, a home-cooked meal on the on the table at night. And um, it was my mother's Korean, um, and my father uh, is from New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so my mom would, would make um, really elaborate Korean meals about half of the time, and then American meals um, the other half of the time. And then sometimes it would just be a hybrid. I would get a plate of, you know, meatloaf that had kimchi and, you know, fried... A scallion pancake on it so it was there was Um, she was kind of fusion
1: before yeah. <laughs> fusion I was, was say, a thing you know that there's a restaurant in Atlanta that's doing meatloaf with kimchi on it or at least like it's probably like glazed part of their menu at some point that actually sounds amazing
2: yeah someone should do that yeah. if it's not happening <laughs> yeah and
1: with, with scallion pancake on the side like or you know just wrap the whole thing up and yeah so there's another business idea right there.
2: Yeah, I think I think someone should look into that. Yeah. Um, so while my mom wasn't, she didn't have a professional culinary background. She was just a great scratch home chef. She could just find anything in the refrigerator and make a home cooked meal out of it. So I guess I grew up not necessarily thinking about the culinary arts per se, but I had um, the sense that cooking was a very approachable thing and yeah. that it took creativity and you could always figure out the solution if you just looked in your kitchen.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, for both Elena and I, we both um, came from families that kind of sat down to dinner every night. Yeah. Um, but, and, you know, I, um, and we really make an effort to do that uh, with our kids. And we, so, you know, we cook from scratch, you know, most nights, and it's, and it can be hard. I mean, you can be, you know, drained and tired at the end of the oh, day. Yeah. And yeah. Trying to keep the kids from losing, completely losing it. Yeah. Even and, uh,
1: making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, yeah. sometimes <laughs> you're like, oh here we go yeah yeah
0: but um i think uh i think you know <laughs> one of the things that really um appealed to me about uh, making chocolate i mean when we saw it done down in costa rica um it was this little uh tiny factory it was up on this hillside looking out over the crew i mean you could literally see the caribbean and you're sort of in this jungle environment oh, and it was a it, was, it wasn't even an enclosed space, it was like a three-walled room Oh man. and they were transforming these beans into chocolate and they didn't have access to a lot of equipment so that some of the machinery was like hacked together and it was just this realization that like this is doable, you know, you sort of grow up and you think chocolate just kind of comes out of this factory, right? Right. you don't really even know where it comes from, or what it, it's almost like this substance, yeah. this industrial yeah, substance it, it's, that it's we just,
1: like. It's immediately elemental and yeah.
0: available everywhere. And so there was this real attraction to this idea of, like, crea- creating something and doing something, uh, you know, as a craft and, like, making something with our hands and, yeah. you know, from the equipment to the, to the actual product itself that was, that was really appealing. And um, uh, so that's a little bit of a diversion from your question about what I ate growing up. But, uh <laughs>
1: no I, I think it's it, uh, it, it's just a question that I, I love to ask every guest on the show because everyone has such a diverse background you know and uh, thankfully I have an opportunity to a lot of the interviews that I have on the podcast uh, it, it's a couple and one person came from a very deeply culinary family just in love with being in the kitchen or everything was centric around the kitchen or cooking or they came from you know another part of the world but that was just ingrained in the culture and then another person was like you know i got a degree in like you know engineering and i i never even like cooked a meal until i was 38 you know, and but I think that there's something so to your point about something being made, something that you are doing with your hands and crafting, and it, it's it's easily a bug that can just hit the right person in the right way, or even the wrong way, and just foist them into this beautiful world. So I don't think there's one path, which I think is amazing.
0: Yeah, so. and I think that you know from the work that Elaine and I had, done, well, I guess I we'll speak for Elaine, but from the work that I've had done. Um, it was it was very abstract. I mean the final impact of, of what I was working on was not I Wasn't that close to it, you know, I, I couldn't right. see the final impact And so there's something about going in and to a job where at the end of the day I've made these chocolate bars or you know I've fixed this machine to help us make the chocolate bar or whatever right. it is this <laughs> um or you know, we've visited with the farmers who are who are, we are and we are directly buying beans from them, mm-hmm. and we're having, you know, a relationship there. And it's just it's a much more tangible kind of, uh, satisf- at least for me, kind of satisfying experience. Yeah,
1: absolutely, and I, I think there's a, a really wonderful thing that goes back to just the creation part of of chocolate in general, especially on the level that you guys are creating such a beautiful and I mean albeit wonderful tasting product in so many forms, you know, but it's, it's it's so amazing to do something that's truly subduing the earth, you know, in a way that it's something that grows out of the ground and it turns into something that so many people enjoy. I mean, you know, for, for me as an adult, like, you know, knowing how to consume, pure like 80% 82% cacao chocolate and then watching my son like wolf down like a you know Twix bar (laughs) or something like there's still something that everyone shares on that line where at some point like it's it it shares like that element of creation which I think is amazing and I'm not trying to get too ethereal on this show it's just like how can you not speak you know with such beautiful language about chocolate so but yeah I think it's absolutely beautiful so well
2: and not to not to go too far down the rabbit hole. No, just Um, go as far (laughs) as you
1: can. Don't worry. We're we're in too deep now.
2: Well, so when you think about, um, Matt mentioned before that as far as um, uh, as far as the chocolate world, um, and, and I guess the botanists that are uh, studying cacao um, know the genetic birthplace of cacao is in the upper Amazon in Peru. And um, when people think about chocolate, if they if they know that um, its origins are in South and Central America, they usually think of Mexico. Um, and the story of how it got from Peru to Mexico is filled with a lot of assumptions and hypotheses and people just trying to fill in the blanks because they weren't recorded. Right um there weren 't records um, some of the, Some of the records that we do find are um, scientists who can find trace amounts of cacao inside five thousand year old clay pots
1: Man.
2: that um, you know have been scattered in um, parts of Mexico and I think even as far as um, parts of New Mexico, um, which I think was a surprise to people recently yeah. um, but the idea of cacao just being carried um, through Partially for partially unknown reasons, but we assume um, through trade and um, through um, uh, I can't think of the word right now. But when a when a civilization pays the conquering civilization some amount of um, oh, sure. goods,
0: tribute. Yeah,
2: tribute. Thank you, <laughs> Matt. <laughs> um, and uh, that being one of the ways in which cacao found its kind of. Um, hub in in mexico particularly during uh, the height of the aztec civilization um so that's part of the human history of um of cacao Uh, we also looking at the plant itself matt mentioned it's a really Interesting-looking tree, um, and I would go so far as to say that it's um, the thing that's interesting about it is the oddness of these pods that are hanging off of it. Yeah. But the trees themselves are pretty unremarkable. If they didn't have pods on them, they would just look like spindly little trees that you would just think were one of the underbrush in a in a rainforest, and you wouldn't give that much more thought to.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, but they're really delicate trees. They're very susceptible to diseases. Mm-hmm. Um, they take a long time to fruit. Um, they don't have a super long life. Um, And they don't yield a lot of fruit either. Um, And so the, um, going a little bit on a tangent here, but um, when you think about the amount of labor that happens on the farm, just growing and tending these cacao trees, it's a a significant amount of of work. And when Matt mentioned that we go down to some of the farms that we work with, we really feel like we add, uh, or a lot of value, um, is created for us by being able to go down to those farms and meet the farmers and really get a good appreciation of the amount of work that they have to go through.
1: Yeah, awesome. No, I mean I think you guys told the story so well of what really fuels the passion for the product and uh, the, the thing that that so many people might might miss or maybe just they because it's a commodity you know like it's it's commodity chocolate and it's just shovel this into my face because it's what my brain is telling me that i want to eat at this moment and there's a place for that but the elevated understanding and art form that you guys are bringing to the table here in atlanta is is something that is it, it's truly it truly is an art form and i think something pretty magical to uh to, to really educate the public and you know not, not only these people that live here but everyone who visits atlanta and you're the first place that they might actually see chocolate production happening um so getting to the to the very nitty-gritty of how you guys are producing this product matt tell me about the you know everything from the fermentation pro- process to how you guys are sourcing the product bringing it here and turning it into chocolate
0: well um This could take a while. (laughs) Sorry, I gave you, like, an (laughs) NPR-style question there. I'm really sorry. No, no, no. No, no, no. I mean, I love... I mean, we really uh, can geek out about this stuff, and and, uh, so you just cut me off whenever. But uh, (laughs) so, all right, we... um, Our goal is to be in a place where we're directly sourcing all of our cacao. That is challenging for uh, a chocolate company of our our size because um, to... Uh, you know, bring this these beans from Central or South America. We have some beans from East Africa. Um, you you know you have to transport them across an ocean in a container ship, and right. that uh, starts to get uh, really expensive unless you're bringing in really large quantities of beans. But uh, we currently are actually doing that with a couple of our origins, and in particular, the one that we're kind of most proud of is our Peruvian uh, chocolate. So we have been working with a cooperative of farmers in uh, Peru in a little town called Pangoa, uh, which is the, the best way I know how to describe its location. is It's an 11 hour due east bus ride, uh, overnight bus ride over the Andes Mountains from Lima. And so we've been it sounds, down there. that
1: just sounds miserable. <laughs> I mean, just, yeah, no, that sounds incredible.
0: So you know, we were really fortunate. We uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Cafe Campesino, but they're a uh, coffee roaster down in america's Georgia, and they've been doing. They're kind of inspirations to us in the way that they source their coffee. Mm. They've been doing uh, direct tr- trade and 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 really focused on working with the communities uh, of farmers where they buy their beans. Yeah. Uh, for you know twenty something years now, and. Um, and when we first started off, we kind of got to know them, and uh, Bill Harris from Cafe Campesino said, hey, we've been buying coffee from this co-op of farmers uh, for the last 10 years or so, mm-hmm. and uh, they're actually starting to produce a little more cacao because the because of climate change is actually impacting where their crops are growing. Yeah, and you just have to
1: keep going up and up with coffee. Exactly. Yeah.
0: And so cacao actually grows at a little lower altitude than coffee. Mm-hmm. But the cacao was starting to grow a little bit higher up the mountain, and there was sort of more opportunities for them to grow more of it, and but they didn't really have a market uh, for their cacao, and so, wow. Um, so, we said this sounds great. Let's go down and check it out, and um, we ended up going down with a couple of other chocolate makers. So, one of the great things that, about the craft chocolate community is that it's, it's getting much bigger. It's growing a lot, but it's still pretty small, and. Uh, and a lot of folks know each other and are, it's very co- collaborative and cooperative and it's not kind of sharp elbows and like, you yeah, know, um, uh, just sort of uh, a last man standing kind of uh, competition. So uh, we've been working with this group of chocolate makers, uh, Raqqa Chocolate up in Brooklyn and Parliament Chocolate out in California and yeah. Fr- French Broad Chocolate up in North Carolina. Oh, yeah.
1: French Broad has become, yeah, I mean, yeah. It's it's like... If you're going to Asheville and you don't make it to French Broad like there's something wrong with you, you know. Well,
0: Dan and jail, rat again. I'm just going to give them a plug because they are they are the husband and wife owner of French Broad and they were actually in Puerto Viejo, Costa Rica about 7 years before us. We didn't oh, know no any way. of us at the time, but, Amazing. It ties uh, so much of your story yeah. together. That's so cool. <laughs> so they moved from Puerto Viejo back up to Asheville and started French Broad Amazing. Uh, Chocolate. And they actually started a little restaurant called Bread and Chocolate down yeah. in Puerto Viejo uh, that we it still exists. We went there and it's amazing again before we knew any of their story um and they're just amazing people i mean they they are so generous and they've really kind of been mentors to us and yeah. helping us figure this whole thing yeah. out but
1: there's like a dotted line between atlanta and asheville and just on the culinary scene i mean like people like katie button and then uh, marijuana ronnie from chaipani here and you know there's there's just so much i, I feel like travel between the two cities and I just feel like on a culinary level, there's just such great collaboration and it's, it's just amazing. I think to see, you know, a couple, uh, like if you go to French broad, it's just so easy to see so much of the story of who they are is poured into their business. And I mean, I think it's amazing. You guys are emulating so much of that community, like you mentioned around chocolate making. So I I think it's great.
0: Yeah. I mean, they're, they're just, they've been inspirations and, and, um, and you know, there's, it's fortunate. I mean, there are a lot of people like that in the craft chocolate world too, which has been great. But, um, uh, so you know we've been working with that co-op uh, for four years now. I think this is maybe the fourth year, third or fourth year. And um, we, when we first went down to visit, uh, we, you know, uh, you know, so we've also been working with a guy down there uh, named Steve Bergen, who is uh, with Conservation Cacao. And so basically, his goal is to preserve rainforest through uh, through encouraging uh, cacao cultivation. Because one of the great things about cacao, unlike pineapple or palm or or uh banana is that you don't go in and clear cut rainforest and plant cacao trees, that it, it helps cacao grows best under a canopy. And mm. so um, it's a, way more environmentally friendly than some of these other wow. uh, forms of farming that happen in the rainforest. Uh, and so, you know, the first time we went down there, uh, you know, we saw they have great genetics. I mean, the trees were you know, these uh, native uh, trees uh, that, you know, were um, producing great fruit their fermentation process had not wasn't quite where it, it needed to be. They were they were much more of a coffee focused co-op yeah. still, and they're kind of, they're still transitioning more into the cacao world. And so we kind of really worked with them on improving the fermentation process. So that gets into your question about what that is. And, and basically when the pods are harvested, they take the fruit and the seeds out together. And it all goes into, uh, usually these are small farmers and they bring to a central fermentary, which is usually the, where the, the co-op is. And they'll put them into these wooden fermentation boxes that usually cover them in banana leaves. Uh, sometimes this happens on individual farms, but kind of ideally it's more of a centralized thing because yeah. then you get more consistent uh, end product. Right. But the sugar and the pulp uh, feeds the bacteria, which starts to break down the sugars into acetic acid and carbon dioxide. and. Uh, that does a couple of things. Um, it prevents the germination of the seed, so you don't just start so growing. So not growing more trees, trees in a box. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, it also starts to, it's, it's what's starting the flavor development yeah. uh, process of the finished. And, uh, and tell me if
1: product. I'm wrong, but I've actually heard that it, it produces like a little bit of heat, right? When this is happening?
2: It does. And actually the, the amount of heat is a good indicator of uh, if the fermentation is um, going the way you want it to go. And so when Matt and I have been down to Peru, one of the, um, quick ways to check the, check the temperature is to just peel back um, one of the banana leaves or plastic tarp and just kind of thrust your, your arm kind of elbow deep into the beans and wow. feel if it's heating up. Um, the more technical way of doing it, which is what the, the folks that work on the, um, work on the fermentation in the cooperative, um, they've got, of course, um, thermometers, so they are right. tracking it. Um, but, yeah, you could just stick your whole arm in there and, and feel some,
1: some good heat coming out. Nice. Nice. Awesome. That's a metaphor for a lot. You know, like the the warmth of something proves that it's working. Like that can be a metaphor for a <laughs> lot of things in life. But um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think the fermentation process is is so interesting. I, I don't know that a lot of people understand that that it's not just like a banana or a pineapple, you know, growing off of this stalk or from a tree. And then, you know, like once it reaches ripeness or like everyone, everyone's probably been apple picking in northwest Georgia or northeast Georgia at some point. And, you know, once it's ripe, you mm-hmm. pick it from the tree and maybe, you know, rub the bugs or dirt off of it and then you just eat it. But yep. cacao is like, well, I mean, it's like that. That's only one step in the process. And then so from fermentation and then, you know, if you, if, with you guys working with this co-op, like what's the next step of you guys receiving the beans you guys are working with?
2: Well, so just backing up for a second into the fermentation. So to, to give a little bit more depth to that, the fermentation process for coffee, I believe is, is 20, 12 to 24 hours, something mm-hmm. along those lines. I'm not right. a coffee expert. Um, For cacao, it takes um, between four and six days, depending on the location. Um, In this area in Peru, it usually takes a little bit longer because the the farms are a little bit higher in altitude Mm. than uh, your typical cacao farm. So at night, the temperatures plunge, and so that makes the fermentation process take a little bit longer. Um, But there are um, farmers or the cooperative staff who are... Um, on a daily basis um, and sometimes several times a day, checking the temperature, tracking it, turning the beans, making sure that the pulp fruit is running out of the boxes. So it's, it's, quite, a, um, it's quite a process just in that one stage. And then after the fermentation um, is complete, the farmers will take the beans out um, and dry them on drying racks. Um, mm-hmm. There are a few different ways that this can happen on in different locations, um, but one of the more typical ways this would happen would be that the beans would be laid out um, on wooden tables um in the sun um, and remembering this is the tropics where you get a lot of rain yeah. drying a wet thing yeah. can be a little bit challenging Like I've
1: been drying this shirt for six days exactly and it's still not dry <laughs>
2: that's exactly right yeah. <laughs> um and so these beans um they they dry slowly in the sun and um, the farmers take a uh, good amount of care to make sure that they don't scorch the beans in the sun because um, if the beans are dried overly fast, you'll actually trap in a lot of the acetic acids and other acids uh, that you actually want kind of off-gassing yeah. during the drying process. Right. Um, and then usually or often these um, drying beds will be covered at night or when it rains. Um, and then on a daily basis, farmers are going out with usually wooden rakes and turning the beans. Yeah. Um, and the, the drying process, again, depending on the location, can take several weeks. So from the time that the beans are harvested to the times that they're um, fully dried can be a month.
1: Man, goodness. Yeah. So you're already building in so much time before you guys even receive anything to work with. And I mean, j- just to put that in context for, for anyone who doesn't know, I mean, like the, the labor the love, the people, the travel—I mean, just just getting this product for you guys to bring it here to Crog Street Market. I mean, what a journey!
0: And you know, I would just say another thing. I mean, I think we're we're pretty passionate about this part of it because that's that's a lot of what we—the story that we want to tell—is—is yeah. is, is what how it's just an amazing thing that this fruit comes off of this tree in the rainforest in the Amazon and goes through this whole, touches so many different hands, there's so many different people that work on it, yeah. to get it to Atlanta, to make it into a chocolate bar. And you know for comparison, you know uh, that's not how usually industrial chocolate, what the process that those beans go through. Yeah. So there's a lot of times in industrial chocolate, the, the beans aren't even fermented. They basically take them out of the pot and they dry them and they throw them in a sack and they get shipped to a factory in Switzerland and they get thrown in with a bunch of other beans and they just Mm. roast the hell out of them. It's similar to coffee. You get, you know, uh, bad beans. Well, you just roast them really hard, (laughs) you know, and then you get kind of a burnt coffee flavor. Black sludge. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. burnt uh, chocolate flavor. Makes great espresso, depending on who you are. And, you know, if you put (laughs) enough sugar and enough milk and enough other stuff into the chocolate, then, you know, it just sort of tastes like sweet candy and that's what it is. And so, you know, I think... um, There's nothing, I mean, I'll still kill a a Twix bar, you know. There's nothing wrong with uh, with candy, but, you know, I think this is, you know, um, and not to sound pretentious, but, you know, we're trying to do something different, and I think Mm -hmm. we really want to tell the story of chocolate so that folks have an appreciation for all of the work that happens, you know, in the country of origin, whether it's Peru or Ecuador or or Madagascar. Yeah,
1: and I think the craftsmanship side, you know, the, the thing that I love to speak to is in Atlanta... There's quite a bit of latitude to do what you guys are doing. It's it's not to the point where it's it it's you guys are filling you know just another block of what someone has done 15 times over. I feel like what what you guys are doing with your business is not only from the level of education, but also sourcing a product, and you, you mentioned touching so many hands, like the work that it creates for other people. Uh, it, I, I love that about Atlanta, and the, the fact that you guys are here in Crog Street Market, that puts it on such a wonderful platform for people to understand and, and, and read and hear about your story individually, how you guys came to be business owners is one is one beauty of it, But and, and the level of, of education and romanticism that you guys bring to something like chocolate, you know, through handing someone a bar over the counter, um, or are goodness like that blended like frozen chocolate drink and I want to talk about that in a minute Um, in so many forms like it it just brings happiness to people but it also leaves them with knowledge which I think is wonderful so
0: well thank you that's what we're going for yeah and we're done have a great (laughs)
1: afternoon or evening or wherever you are but um but yeah, and you know, I, mean, I think you know, moving and, and hearing a little bit about the, you know, the, the fermentation process where you guys are sourcing beans, so they come here. Mm-hmm. So you guys are actually, I mean today, like you, right before we started this, like you guys have a truck of beans that are waiting to actually come in. So you guys are actually processing chocolate right here in Crog Street Market, I'd imagine on what's a daily basis.
2: Yes, it's definitely a daily basis. So, yeah, so we actually got a shipment of beans from um, Nicaragua and Madagascar, both arrived, uh, which we're excited about. We've been out of Madagascar, which is a customer favorite, for a little while. Yeah. So we just got, got some beans back. So if anyone out there has been waiting, <laughs> give us about a week. And we'll have <laughs> some more of them back on the shelves. Um, but, yeah, it, so one of the reasons that we wanted to build our space the way we did in Crog Street Market was we wanted to kind of... Um, Make the process as transparent as possible because, as I'm sure a lot of your listeners know and you know, um, chocolate has um, a pretty shady underbelly. Sure. Um, there's a, there's a lot of inequity in the supply chain yeah. um, and uh, and in the labor, and um, I think that. What we wanted to do was to be able to educate customers because Atlanta is a city where people are so knowledgeable about food and love food, and so I think any opportunity people get to learn more about food, um, folks jump on. And so we really wanted to be able to provide um, an educational forum as well. Um, And so literally, you can see the process being made. so you could also from smelling the cacao as we're roasting it and yeah. um, through hearing the really loud vibration of the chocolate <laughs> when it's being tempered um but all of that is on view here
1: yeah which i think is awesome you know i mean we we live just down the belt line so i'll walk here my wife and i will bring our kids we'll throw them in the stroller we'll come here we'll get pizza at bruni napoli or i'll grab sushi or you know recess has been a recent favorite and um but watching people like walk by slowly with their food or beer or whatever and then they walk really slowly past your guys shop and they're like I think they're making chocolate you're like yeah that's what you smell like it's uh, you're on one side of the market and you're smelling chocolate being roasted and then the next one there's like bar- you know it's it's just awesome but I mean it, it definitely invades everyone's septum like when you guys are, are roasting chocolate it's it's pretty awesome yeah so um but yeah talk to me a little bit about like being here in Krog you know I mean establishing like you guys first business you know, like you knew your first take at this like what's it what's it been like since you guys opened here in the market
2: um, I mean this has been a really great opportunity for us I really don't think that we could have um, I think launched our, a new brand a new company um, and gotten the traction that we've been able to get so far if we weren't in a place like Crog Street market um, I think that people who live in the neighborhood who who um, Come to the market on a pretty regular basis, whether it's to grab beer or wine from Hop City, or to get sushi or pizza or barbecue. Yeah. Um, I think that um, you know we get a lot of visibility among um, residents, and then it is also a tourist draw as well. And so, it has been a great opportunity as a new business. Um, but I think on a maybe a deeper level, um, it's been a really good opportunity for Matt and I to get to know others in the. The maker world and the craft food and beverage world here in Atlanta. Sure. Um, so it's been really nice being able to, to form some friendships with the other owners here.
1: Yeah. And that was another question I had for you guys is like, you know, being an established business. I mean, you know, I've, I've been, you know, in and around Atlanta since 2013. So it, just in that short five-year five, five year span, you see a lot grow, you see a lot change, you see a lot come and go and, you know, people establishing their businesses here is like the next, you know, like secondary market, you know. and. It, it, it grows. It grows a lot. And the one thing that I love is, you know, mentioning like the latitude of being a business owner here, especially a restaurateur in the culinary community, seeing the collaboration between a brewery and a restaurant or a roaster of coffee and a local coffee shop or a baker, you know, the, the list goes on and on. But what's it been like for you guys to collaborate with other, you know, restaurateurs, chefs, businesses in Atlanta?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, just to echo everything that Elaine said, I mean, we're just really fortunate to um, be in a place like Krog where we have little tart you know, um, right around the corner, who's you know they're using our nibs and some of their yeah. uh, their cookies and favorite chocolate chip cookie in Atlanta. Yeah. the whole wheat.
1: Cho- oh my goodness. Well, yeah. everything
0: Sarah makes is pretty amazing. Oh, yeah, she's a she's uh, a magician. No you doubt. know, um, Ticonderoga Club is you know you know they they do all sorts of creative stuff in the kitchen and yeah. they'll, you know it's funny. I mean, it's just great to be here because they'll. They'll come over at, you know, like 4 o'clock in the afternoon and be like, oh, you know, we just have this idea for, you know, something. We need some nibs or (laughs) we need some, you know, we need like eight ounces of chocolate or something like that, you know. So that's just kind of been fun. And then, you know, we've done collaborations with Wild Heaven, uh, uh, who uh, came out with a a beer gravitational wave last year that was just amazing. They they smoked our nibs over at Pine Street uh, Market, uh, used, I don't remember, it was like, 20 or 40 pounds of of nibs got um wow smoked then put in with uh like 40 pounds of raspberries and they just you know wow. sat for the, for a while and just came out with this amazing those are some
1: happy cocoa nibs yeah. right there so much love wow
0: <laughs> and then we sort of did a riff off of that uh so they sort of had this raspberry chocolate uh what was it a russian imperial, russian imperial stout Report. yeah and uh and we sort of did a riff of a chocolate bar off of that where we took some of the smoked nibs and used freeze-dried raspberries oh, and, nice. and uh, with, it was sort of a, uh, came out of our love and happiness uh, chocolate bar that Elaine had come out, out, up with uh, last year, which is a- One of my favorites, by the way. Well, and we just actually found out today, we won an award, uh, The uh, uh, what was it? The London International Academy of Chocolate, I'm, I'm not gonna get I'll let Elaine say it. <laughs> um,
2: yeah, so we, uh, we found out a couple of hours before meeting you today that um, the uk academy of chocolate announced its winners of 2018 and um five of our uh products were winners including love and happiness well guys
1: congratulations (laughs) this is complete there's there's nothing but truth to this i knew nothing of this so like this is uh this is really wonderful news to hear congratulations thank you so much yeah
2: we're really really happy
1: but i will say like if you have not tried the love and and that's the next thing that we'll get into is i want to hear a lot more about you know like what what you guys are actually serving you know over here and like people can buy but um that's a tremendous bar of chocolate yeah i mean which you know it's hard to not have one that you you're like man like talk about flavor but yeah yeah very well deserved congratulations thank so, you thank yeah
0: you. well Lane gets all the credit for that one so <laughs> um
1: but yeah you know i i think that's that's just that's something that i love about this city is there's someone doing something amazing and sees another person or couple or group of people doing something equally amazing and there's that you know that dotted line of there's going to be something down the line and then it turns into something that is just on that level of craftsmanship that it's, it's just a a love project between two groups of people. And then everyone else gets to be on the receiving end. I I fortunately get to be on the receiving end. I'm not making chocolate on the daily or, or brewing beer or anything, but to be one of the people that just sees that. And like, I remember that and it was incredible. So, uh, no, I, I think it's, it's really, really awesome. But, um,
2: can I just add to that? I think that um, my theory on where some of that might be coming from is actually Atlanta's farmer's market scene. Um, yeah. So if you Total truth. Um, go to one of the many really wonderful farmer's markets here in Atlanta, and we have so many of them, um, you go and there are chef demo tents and there are prepared food makers that are using ingredients from the other um the other vendors at the market, so they're using produce or meat um, from one of our um, Atlanta uh, producers, and it is that almost like you're you're looking for a reason to connect, or you're you know you want to connect with another business or concept, and you're just trying to figure out how. Um, and a lot of the the craft food and and beverage um, people here in Atlanta have uh, their roots in farmers markets, and and may. You know, currently still be in farmers markets, yeah. and so it's a really. Um, I think that might be where some of this is born from, and and definitely encourage people to to visit farmer markets uh, yeah. whenever possible.
1: Um, but you know, like the the last couple of things here about the business that I want to hear is you know like for for someone who has not experienced chocolatol, something that you guys have created either from. Uh, you know, one of the other many creations with another local business picking up the, the chocolate elsewhere, being here in the market. If you've never been to Krog Street Market, I mean, you know, what's wrong with you? So get over here. But um, but tell me a little bit about like what's what's something that you gotta come try. What's something that you would give like a first time customer? Like, dude, here you go. Here's like here's the gateway into our world. Like, what is that item?
0: Well, one, this is slightly different, but I would say we do tours and tastings. And so on our website, you can go and sign up and come down and we do sort of a, we actually walk you through the whole chocolate making process. And so I think for a lot of people, you know, again, that back to why we do the production here is we really want to tell that story and show people like open this world up to people. And I think when they see like that, you can smell the unroasted cacao and it smells, uh, not like chocolate. Right? It's, you know, it's got kind of a funky, kind of acidic, kind of vinegary smell to it because it's a fermented fruit, right, you know. Right. And then you can smell it after it's been roasted, and now it's been transformed, and now it has this rich cocoa brownie kind of smell to it. Yeah. And then you can see the nibs in the grinder grinding down into a liquid, and you can, you know, it's just so. If anyone's interested in getting, you know, deeper into it, I would encourage them to come do that. But in terms of just sort of our introductory, you know, introduction to uh, chocolate we've got our drinking chocolate which is uh pretty accessible to most yeah. folks which
1: is what i wanted to ask you about because that's um it's exactly what you just said and if it, i think some people hear that or they read that and they're like dr- like drinking chocolate like yes uh imagine drinking pure chocolate like every kid's dream talk to me about that a little bit more
0: so how it is different than hot chocolate is, uh, you know, our sort of growing up kids, you know, Nestle hot chocolate is basically cocoa powder and sugar and milk. Yeah. And drinking chocolate is when you just take chocolate and you melt it down into milk. We use coconut milk here in the market right mm-hmm. now. Um, and so, you know, cocoa powder comes from the cacao bean. Mm-hmm. It basically, the process to make cocoa powder is you, you basically make uh, chocolate liquor and you put it in a hydraulic press, and you squeeze the cocoa butter out, and then you're left with a cake of cocoa powder. Right. And so uh, making drinking chocolate straight from the chocolate, it still has that cocoa butter in it. So it's a really rich, yeah. decadent. And it's how when chocolate, you know, again, back to the original name, Chocolato, I mean, it was a drink for centuries before it became uh, a, um, a chocolate bar. And so when it first came to Europe, there were... Uh, it, it actually arrived in Europe about the same time that coffee did, yeah. and there were chocolate drink houses and coffee drink houses, and it was almost like gangs—you were sort of in either one or the other, but you <laughs> kind of had your hangout spot. And uh, and so, you know, we wanted, you know, kind of share that with folks, and we do it as a frozen uh, drinking chocolate as well, yeah. which is same recipe. We just put it in a slushy machine, oh, and gosh. it's uh, yeah. it's it's pretty good.
1: Yeah, no, I I would agree that it's 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 yeah much more than pretty good, man. It's. It's something, but also like it's an indulgence you know so it's just like the little bit but man like it's so much fun to have that especially on a day like today like it's pretty pretty warm but you know like man it's such a treat such a treat we
0: are we're working on get so this is uh, I think the other thing that will be exciting if we can never actually get this um, cacao pulp like the fruit that uh, is used in the fermentation process is actually delicious hmm. it's tart but still sweet um, and uh, uh, how would you describe like the
2: it definitely has a tropical fruit flavor so mm-hmm. maybe if you imagine pineapple mixed with a little bit of mango or yeah. maybe mangosteen something like but very very kind of tart and sweet tropical flavors
0: mm-hmm. So we're, um, I think we're going to be able to bring some in and we're going to do, try to do that as like a frozen cacao fruit uh, drink, which I think will be cool for people to try something kind of completely different. Totally.
1: You you guys got to be careful with that information though, because like the person who's going to really latch on to... You know, something that's really unique and maybe a little whimsical is, like, they're going to come knocking on your door or your food stall over here. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it's awesome. And then, like, you know, real quick, I just want to I wanna mention, I mean, especially speaking about a, a bar, you know, like, um, if you come to your guys' stall here in Crog Street, I mean, there's, like, the display, beautiful display, by the way. Um, but there's an array of, of products to choose from. Like, what's, like, the, what you know, what, what do you recommend for the customer that hasn't experienced you guys? Like, do you buy, like, you know, one bar, two bars? Like, and what would those be?
2: Um, so, I think maybe the, the sort of gateway bar mm-hmm. <laughs> for our products Sorry, would be...
1: I, I know I use that a lot, but... <laughs> <laughs> no,
2: <laughs> I gravitated towards that, too. Um, it would be a bar that we call Kissed Mermaids. The name is actually an allusion to a Pixies song. If you uh, know Wave of Mutilation, that's where okay. that, that name came from. Um, but it is, uh, it's is—it's our version of a milk chocolate, but we use coconut milk rather than dairy. Awesome. Um, so as of right now, all of our products are actually dairy-free, so if you are a vegan or for whatever other reason are avoiding dairy, uh, everything that we make would be accessible to you. Um, but it's a, a coconut milk bar um, that's 60%, so it's a little bit on the sweeter side mm-hmm. in comparison to the other chocolate bars we make. Um, and then we sprinkle on the back the roasted nibs, and nibs um, is just the word for the broken cacao bean after it's been roasted. Right. Um, so we sprinkle the nibs on the back, um, and we infuse sea salt with vanilla and sprinkle that on the back too. So you get creamy, crunchy, sweet, salty, um, and that is definitely our our most popular bar. So I would recommend that to the to the person coming to visit us for the first time. Awesome.
1: Yeah, that no, sounds great. That I actually haven't had that one yet, so that's probably going to be the one I'll pick up today. So, um, well, before we get into the, uh, the 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 fun the fun stuff here um, for the very end of the show, I just want to know like what other than you know bringing in you know part of the part of the the cacao you know like the the pulp you know and doing something that's you know completely new to everybody like what's next for you guys with Chocolatel?
2: So that's been the big question for about two years now. Um, we are actually uh, in dire need of a larger production space. it's um, a great
1: problem to have.
2: <laughs> we make chocolate in, in perhaps the most uh, inefficient way possible just because of our small um, space that we make it in. Uh, our actual, actual production space is probably about 200 square feet. Um, and so uh, it's an efficient use of space, but um, we'd be able to make our chocolate and more of it, I think, with more space. So we're looking for um, the n- next home for an expanded factory.
1: Excellent. That's exciting, though. That's really exciting. Yeah. It's like uh, maybe making chocolate in a tiny house isn't something that you need to do uh, only only to like a certain scale. So <laughs>
0: That's right. for, the, for the
1: people who are really uh, romantic about small spaces, you know, it, it can only take you so far. But. Um, Excellent. Well, thank you guys so much for sharing your story. I I absolutely love what you guys are doing. I mean, again, if you have not made it to Crog Street Market for any reason, have not visited you guys at Chocolatol, experienced, first and foremost, just chocolate in bar form, but then graduating into drinking chocolate. I mean, again, you talk about Gateway, like that's the next perfect place to land, but um, pay these guys a visit, uh, I, I love what you guys are doing. Thank you again so much for telling me your story, I really appreciate it. Um, the last portion here, uh, just for the last couple minutes here is a, is a portion of the show that I call on the fly. They're just kind of simple questions, like just kind of it's meant to be fun, getting to know you guys a little bit more, um, and just, you know, they're just kind of like sweet little nothings just for everybody to, to it's like dessert at the end of the show. <laughs> so, um, you guys can pass the mic back and forth, answer them as quickly as you'd like, but also as thoroughly as possible. So, um, I want to know if you guys are going out to a, a restaurant in Atlanta, what are you guys ordering for dessert? Cause I know that so many people immediately gravitate towards up oh, the chocolate, whatever on the dessert menu is like that. That's the thing. But what are you guys
0: getting for dessert? Yeah. I, th- I think we both kind of usually go to the fruit uh, option. Amen. Yeah. Um, and at home we do that a lot. Like actually Korean pears are just an amazing fruit and just like chopping one of those up at home. I mean, the kids will just love it too. So, um,
2: I would say I think that that might our, our proclivity of doing that probably comes from my mom's cooking and Korean cooking, so a, a typical Korean after-meal treat is fresh fruit, and so that's yeah. something that we've been doing, so I think that in restaurants that's, we're looking for like a dressed up version of fruit.
1: Yeah, I'm a fan of that as well, big time. Um, this is the question that I alluded to a little bit earlier, I ask everybody. So it's either Krog Street Market or Farmers Market, not that you're choosing. Necessarily, but what is the occasion that you're coming here? Obviously not for work since you guys are working here, but what's something that you're coming to a to a Crog Street Market for and which farmers market are you going to and which one?
0: Well I almost religiously go to uh the grant park farmer's market and and most of the times you know the whole family is going uh every sunday um and we load up you know try to we hit la calavera bakery which just does amazing bread.
1: my favorite sourdough in atlanta yeah so
0: i'll buy like two or three loaves even and just kind of slice it up and put them in the freezer and then you know pop them in the toaster when you're ready to go and yep uh you know we'll uh, you know grab some coffee from a thousand faces and you know uh, the, the spotted trotter and the and our daughter always has to have a revolution donut uh, <laughs> and so that is pretty much every uh uh sunday and then there's also a luma farms over in. we we now live in a dare park over in southwest atlanta oh right on there's uh, a lot happening over there right yeah now. it's amazing it's really cool and we've been yeah. there for just like a year and a half now it's, it's just it's Getting crazy, yeah. Uh, but Illuma Farms is—they uh, have a little farm right on the Beltline there, and they do a farmers market stand um, every Thursday from nice. four to eight. And so we'll walk over there and, and grab some produce and stuff as that's well. That's great. That's
1: that's the that's the best plug for a farmers market that might be lesser known right now, and will eventually grow into something like you know huge. So just give it some time. But yeah, what about you, Elaine?
2: Um, well, because I'm with Matt. <laughs> <laughs> he and I are together almost all of the time. Ditto. Um, yeah, I'm usually right there with them. Um, but I love uh, I love coming to Crog Street um, for a couple of things. One, um, our home is always stocked with wine from Hop City um, and beer as well. Um, the kids love Jenny's ice cream. Mm-hmm. Um, we're usually going to pick some quick lunch up at, um, from Yala. Um, if we've got friends in town and we want to show off some spaces, um, yeah. a trip to Ticonderoga Club is almost always a part of that yeah
1: yeah anything that greg is touching at Ticonderoga, like, it's usually pretty amazing and yeah. uh yeah i was gonna i was gonna mention did you guys try the uh it's like the dark chocolate um it, it's dairy-free though the the chocolate ice cream over at jenny's that they had it, it was incredible i mean being so rich and then like anyone would try it and think that you know it's just typical ice cream its you know, made with like, you know, cream or it's like gelato, but, uh, being, you know, dairy free, it was amazing. So I don't know if you guys have had a chance to try it, but it's, it's pretty incredible.
0: I'd actually do a little plug. Uh, Jenny's is amazing. Um, yes. and, uh, but queen of cream also right around the corner, ah. uh, is actually using our chocolate and, uh, some of her and she has some non-dairy, uh, she has a chocolate sorbet, I think with, um, nice. with some of our uh, chocolate and that's been. Also a kid favorite. So we sort of yeah. bounce back and forth between Jenny's and yeah. Queen of Cream. As Paul Calvert walks by as we're doing this interview.
1: Shout out to Paul Calvert. He doesn't know who I am, but, you yeah, know, whatever. Um, really quick one for each of you. So tell me in, like, one word, maybe two, you can, you know, it's America, you can do whatever you want, but uh, using chocolate in a drink, a pastry, and a cocktail. What does that look like? And that might be way too or, – or you can choose one of those three. What's your favorite?
2: So this um – this recipe is actually from my uh, sister-in-law, who is from El Salvador, and she, when she, um, when we told her that we were getting into chocolate making, um, she had recently come back from, or I think she was just going to v- visit some of her family in El Salvador, and so she came back with some cacao beans that she got from the local market there and handed me a handwritten recipe that was very um, very vague and full of generalizations, which is exactly the kind of recipe I like. Yes. I prefer when it's not very specific at all. Like it <laughs> you says, have to it figure just, it out.
1: It says like enough sugar. You're like, I don't know right. what that means, but I'll figure it out.
2: Right, exactly. So when there's a little <laughs> bit of a puzzle involved, that, yes. that makes it more fun. Yes. Um, but so it's a traditional way of drinking chocolate. Um, I think it's similar to a lot of drinking chocolate in, um, in Mexico and Central America, but um, you can actually uh, take roasted cacao nibs and grind them up in a, if you have a coffee bean grinder or yeah. a Vitamix, you can grind them in there. Yeah. Um, if you were to roast some orange peels, um, just put them in your oven and let them roast on a low heat for about an hour or so. And then throw that in with the ground up nibs along Mm. with some salt, pepper, and cinnamon. And I'm not going to tell you the proportions, so if anyone wants to figure (laughs) this out, they can. Um, But when you're done grinding it all up, you'll get kind of a a clay or Play Doh consistency. Um, So then you can roll that um, mush that you've got now into little balls. and then store them, and then if you wanted to make your own um, sort of coarse ground drinking chocolate, all you would need to do is drop one of those chocolate balls into a mug with some boiling hot water, give it a stir, and you're gonna have like an authentically gritty, um, super delicious citrusy, cinnamony, uh, authentic drinking chocolate.
1: That's my favorite answer to any question (laughs) I've ever had on this portion of the show, and that sounds awesome.
2: It's delicious. I love
1: it. Maybe maybe I can grab like a copy of the handwritten recipe and like I'll you know cut my own path with that one. But that sounds fun. I will definitely that send really, it to you. Yeah, yeah that sounds yeah. really fun. Um, what about you, Matt?
0: Um, well, I'll, I'll do another plug this time for uh, Treehouse Milk. My sister Bess, actually is. Uh, I
1: love those guys.
0: Yeah. So she uh, she and Kate are uh, the co owners of Treehouse Milk, and so they do a pecan milk, and they'll uh, they also use our nibs and their. Um, Cacao almond milk, but they've did one last year that was like a, um, a white Russian, but with like uh, with their uh, chocolate, uh, I think almond milk that they made, um, you know, with our nibs. So that was pretty delicious. Yeah, well, yeah. I
1: love uh, from their branding to the product itself. I mean. Yeah, walking by those guys over at the Green Market on Saturdays, oh my gosh. It, I just, it's such a neat thing, and um, I love what they're doing. So, so it's just fun. You know, we get to celebrate all the other business owners on this show as well. So, um, but the last question I have for you guys, and I ask this to everyone, and it's meant to be the funniest question of all, but, and this is maybe an easy one because you guys uh, are married. So what do you guys have in your fridge at home right now? And you have two kids like I do, so this might be a really fun answer.
2: Um, not a lot, honestly, because it's Friday and we missed the Aluma farm stand yesterday, which means the last time we got food was last Sunday. So yeah. our refrigerator currently is pretty bare. I think we have like three giant tubs of different types of kimchi. Um, Ooh, and nice. if we can sort of struggle to Saturday where we might go to the Morningside Farmers Market or make it till the Sunday Grant Park Market, we're going to kind of stretch what we've got until then.
1: Nice. I like that. Hey, You can never have too much kimchi.
0: Honestly, we might break down and go to Kroger today, but.
1: I <laughs> uh, love that. Oh, man. Well, Elaine, Matt, thank you guys so much for being on the show. It was such a tremendous pleasure, again, hearing your story, what you guys are doing here at Krog Street is magical. So thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah,
1: absolutely.
2: Yeah, thank you for, for finding us interesting. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's impossible not to. Thanks, guys. Well, if you're anything like me, I'd imagine that you're going to want some chocolate after listening to this episode. So if you want to get your hands on a few of those award-winning bars that we were talking about that these guys are actually producing right over at Crog Street Market... Go ahead and check out their website and order a few or just swing by their stall and grab some for you and your loved ones. But the Madagascar and the aptly named Love and Happiness are my first recommendations for you. So definitely get out and try some. But huge thank you to Matt and Elaine for joining me for this episode. It was an absolute pleasure. And again, please do get out and try some of these guys' amazing chocolate it'll make your day better but also a really fun fact if you were listening Matt actually mentioned his relation to the folks from Treehouse Milk and it's I'm actually really excited that we have these guys for an upcoming episode in just a few weeks so keep your eyes out for that announcement but I'm really excited just for you know a little shameless plug for another episode coming up this summer but with that we're going to wrap it up so I cannot wait to bring you guys more stories from local chefs culinary entrepreneurs and people who are making Atlanta the greatest city for eaters. I'm your host, Ben Getz. Thanks again for listening to the Atlanta Foodcast.